Well, I hope you uh, have come to kind of really enjoy that acoustic set that we do uh, ever so often, once a month or so. Um, it just, uh, it's so, so enjoyable. I, I, I remember, uh, to be honest, the first time they kind of pitched the idea, I was like, oh boy, I really like the full band. Um, but boy, something that moves me when, uh, when I hear them, it's, it's pretty awesome. So, well, we're glad that you're here this morning. And we're going to look at a parable that's in Luke chapter 8. And so if you, uh, if you take the time to, uh, if you take time to grab your Bible, I said eight, 18, if you take time to open your Bible, and uh, we're going we're gonna to track through this in just a minute, but it's an interesting little parable this morning. In fact, it's a little bit different than the other parables, because up till now we've been walking through this series on parables, and many of them, if you remember, say, the kingdom of God is like... And that's not where Jesus goes with this one. It's a little bit different. So prepare yourself, Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you're, you're very welcome to slip up and grab one of the, the Bibles off the side tables if you'd like to have one in your hand. We'll have some of the scripture this morning on the screen as well. Well, you may remember, before there was uh, Jimmy Fallon and Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno, there was a guy uh, named Johnny Carson, right? Yeah, and if uh, you remember, as I did as a kid, watching some of the episodes, trying to stay up late and at least see the monologue is what I was hoping to do before my, my parents said, get off to bed. This guy was really the king of kings when it came to the late night comedy. In fact, it wasn't a brand new genre, but he did something to it that even uh, everyone that has followed after him have acknowledged that he was something special. And you remember he had a sidekick named Ed McMahon who was on the show, and he'd sit at the end of the couch uh, trying to uh, be funny to varying degrees of success uh, each night. But he was famous for really one thing that he did. Do you remember what that was? Uh, He would introduce Johnny Carson when he came in with just two words that, you know, they use Johnny, you know, done much, much better than I just did it right there, of course. But that was kind of his gig, right? And he became incredibly popular just for that. Now, here's another guy you probably don't know. It's a guy by the name of John Searing. You see, this guy, John Searing, was so into that phrase, here's Johnny, that he decided that's what he wanted to do in life. It was on his bucket list, maybe the one top thing. He just desired to be able to be the one for one night to say that and to introduce Johnny Carson. Now this guy, uh, I mean, he's just a guy who's from New Jersey. He's a, a salesman of art supplies. That was his job. But he so badly wanted to do that. So one day he writes a handwritten letter, right, to the Johnny Carson show, saying, hey, I'd really love it if one night you could replace Ed McMahon and let me do that. That would be really great. And so the staff was really nice. They sent him back a form letter and also an 8 by 10 picture of Johnny Carson autograph and the whole bit, expecting that would be about the end of it, right? Not so. Over the next several years, John Searing would write handwritten 800 letters to The Tonight Show asking, asking to do this Here's Johnny bit just one night. It would say over and over, hey, Johnny, just uh, wanted to remind you that I'd really like to do that if you would let me do that one. Hey, Johnny, I'm not sure if you have anything lined up on Friday night, but I'm available. And this is how his letters would go over and over, 800 of them that he would write. Well, lo and behold, he finally gets a letter back from The Tonight Show. And it says, guess what? Your dream has come true. Don't send us any more letters. We're going to put you on the show. And that was the end of the letter. So they fly him out to do the show, and uh, they give him his own dressing room. He's got his name above the door, John Searing, right above the door, right? 
And as he's sitting in his dressing room, the show begins, and Ed McMahon comes on and says, here's Johnny. And he was a bit confused by this. He thought, I, I, aren't I here to do that? That's my job tonight. And they surprised him a bit further. They actually brought him out as the first guest on the show, and he sat there on the couch for six minutes doing an interview back and forth, and Johnny Carson asking him, why in the world are you sending me letters over and over? And then they send him back off the stage, and he comes back out, sits in a chair, and he does what he's been wanting to do for years. He introduces Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Now, to their knowledge and to our knowledge, he went away fulfilled, never wrote another letter, never asked for anything greater than that. He went home and thinking, I've done what I wanted to do. Persistence, 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 right? That's a kind of a quirky persistency, right? It's a bit quirky in that. We're talking about that this morning in this parable. Now, uh, this morning we're going to be told this by a very interesting character. In fact, Jesus, as he often does, will take a character who seemingly has no value within their culture and time, and he uses that person to tell us a pretty incredibly strong lesson or story. And so he does that this morning. Now, so before that, I need to let you know that persistency is not always a good thing. So this morning, before we launch into what we're talking about, would you hear that sometimes persistency is a very bad thing? Boyfriend, girlfriend break up, right? And one of them, though, really doesn't get the message, and they decide they're going to be persistent, persistent, persistent. That's bad. That's bad persistency, all right? If you're in a marriage this morning, and uh, one of your spouse is physically beating the snot out of the other one, that's bad persistency to hang around in that. There's, you need some space. You need to get out of that situation. There are things such as bad persistencies, and so keep that in mind this morning as we jump into this. But there's also things such as holy persistency. There seem to be these times when being persistent in something and staying after something seems to fall right in line with what God is calling us to and what God is pushing us to do in our life. Like, take an example of marriage, what we just said. If, if you're not quite tracking well as a couple, you, you know, you look and we're just not communicating like we once were. Persistency. Keep going. Keep working on it. That would seem to be a holy persistency that we read about in Scripture. A good parent is persistent with their kids, right? Persistent in that relationship. Even at times when you look at your kids and you go, I have no idea who you are or what you've become. Persistence. That would seem to be a holy persistency as the Word of God would teach us as parents to hang in there, keep going, learn. You're going to blow it sometimes. It's, it's okay. And so that's really what we're looking at this morning is this holier, this really virtuous demonstration of persistence that we find in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, let me read you the passage and then we'll look at a couple things. It says this, starting in verse 1, when Jesus told his disciples a parable, that's what we're, we're talking about here, a story that teaches something. We've been doing this for six weeks now, looking at the parables to show them that they should always pray and not give up. If you remember the very first week, we said almost every parable has some point to teach us. Often it's to compare the kingdom of God to something we see on earth so we understand what the kingdom of God is like. This one clearly is about prayer. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. 
and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now look, in this story, uh, Jesus Christ, I mean, this is our Lord and Savior. He is telling us and teaching us a story. This isn't like a cute little anecdote that, you know, you put on a Facebook page so that people can look and, and say, oh, that's what that person's like. No, this is a story that he is teaching us, telling us this is something we put in practice in our life. And so as Jesus is telling this and the disciples are hearing this, the first thing we would recognize is there were different characters in this story. There's a man and a woman. Now culturally, let's talk about that for just a second when Jesus speaks about this story. You see, man and woman on equal footing, equal place in life, was not equal in this culture. The man would always have more power and strength and influence than a woman culturally in this time. And so as Jesus tells this story already, just to add a, a man and a female as the key characters, they would have understood right away culturally, man here, female here. But he goes much further than that. He says the man is a judge. A judge has, has pretty significant power there. Now, you think of a judge today, a judge has authority to hand down a verdict. But there's also a, kind of a whole law that goes with it, and there's a whole review system that goes with it as well. Throw that all out the window, but keep the judge's ability to render a verdict. That's what we're talking about in this day and age. Powerful judge can basically say, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to ignore it altogether. Whatever they wanted to do, they were able to do in this system. And then we had this widow. Now, if you're not familiar with what a widow in Jesus' time had and what that was all about, this lady was basically on the bottom rung of society. You see, when somebody's husband passed away and you became a widow, you couldn't own property yourself. Uh, you could maybe find some form of business, but we find a lot of the widows became prostitutes because that's what they were able to do with their body that a man probably couldn't do or not the same in this time frame. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for her. She wasn't allowed to vote or be in any system where she could stand up for her rights. And chances are she was penniless as well. You see, what would happen with a widow is they would lose all of their assets when their husband passed away. And there was some form of kind of retaining them or passing them to or the brother of your husband that died, maybe owning those and using those for the widow. But often this got held up in legal channels. And it seemed like that very well could be the situation here. We don't know for sure. So you got this judge who's in a powerful position, a male who owned the authority to say yay or nay on something, and then you had this widow that culturally in that time wasn't even allowed to own anything. It, could Jesus have found two uh, just polarizing figures here on two opposite sides? It, it's amazing how Jesus very subtly puts this into the story when he starts to tell this. And so this woman, we find, comes to the judge and she is talking about what she wants to pursue, right? It's justice. 
Now, if you wanted to find justice in something, there's really three ways to find it. Maybe it's similar to today. I don't know. Number one, you could pay off the judge. That'd be a way. If you had enough money, you could pay him off, you know, get your verdict that way. I suppose it still happens today, right, in some settings. We read about it in the news ever so often. We love to see it in movies, right? But this lady was penniless. She, she had no money. That, this just was not going to happen for this widow. You could threaten the judge, I guess. You could tell him, look, hey, hey, you judge, you know, if you ever want to see your family again, kind of thing. We love that in movies too, but clearly this lady in her position, there was no way possible that she was going to threaten a powerful judge and be taken seriously. Or you could just persist. You could plead and plead and plead and plead. And we find this is the route that she goes here. And she's doing this, and we know two things about the judge that she's doing this to. The scripture says it right away. Number one, he doesn't fear God. He's very clear about that in the scripture. Jesus says it, and then the judge himself describes himself that way, right? He doesn't fear God, and two, he doesn't respect people. So if you look at this criteria of what we might think is a good judge, he's 0 for 2 in this. He doesn't care about what God thinks, and he doesn't care about people as well. It seems to be a bad resume for this judge here because he's not bound by any set of laws. You see, if you were a Jewish judge, you would think a Jew in this culture, in this time, you would think that they would respect the law of God. You would think they would look at the Old Testament and the law and say, I'm bound by these laws. In how I render verdict, I will have to use these laws. But here is a judge declaring, I have no interest in that. I don't fear God. I don't worry about the law at all. And clearly, he says as well that he doesn't care about other people. Really, what he's doing is, if you look at him, he's the the lowercase j, judge, but he's going to take over the place of the uppercase j, judge, the, the God judge, and say, I'm just that person. And that's how he functions in his role. This is not a good judge to go in front of. In fact, if you ever watch like Law and Order or those type of shows when, when they were on, or there's others that are on today, you see every once in a while the characters, the lawyer characters would always say, oh, I sure hope we draw a good judge for this. Somebody who's sympathetic to this case. This would have been a horribly bad judge for her to draw. But that's exactly what has happened, right? And so we find that she just continues to go to this judge over and over and over again and pleading and pleading. Now, you have kids, right? Several of you. I've got kids. When my kids want something, can they not find a way to wear you out for what you want? I mean, I would really like that thing to be taking out the trash, but it never is. You know, it's usually something in the store or something else because we're wired that way. I suppose I'm the same way uh, as, as my kids are as well. When I want something, I'm just persistent. Sometimes I sit and I figure out whatever plan I can come up with to finally obtain that type of thing. Well, she is persistent over and over. It's kind of like the judge. He comes out in the morning, comes out of his house, and there she is standing. Hey, judge, just wanted, if you got a second, just want to talk about my case. Oh, he's there at lunch, and he says, hey, can I sit down, judge? Can we talk about this case? Just everywhere he went, she just continued to plead and plead and persist. Finally, what does he do? He relents. He gives in. He says, okay, I'm going to give this lady justice so that she'll leave me alone. He doesn't fear God, 
and he does not fear people, or he doesn't care about people, yet he becomes frightened of this little lady. (laughs) And he gives her what she wants because of her persistence. In fact, in your translations, it it says there that uh, I want to see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And he's so worried about this lady. Some of your translations say that she won't come and beat me up or won't club me, is what some of your, the older translations say. And he's frightened of this lady, and he gives her what she wants. When we're looking at the characters, sometimes we have to ask ourselves in a parable, how am I like the characters? And I think if you were like me, and I read this story, I would immediately say, well, I'm like the widow. There's sometimes I'm wrong, but I want to keep being persistent and, and fight for that. Or I want, to, I want to keep being persistent for good things. So let's look at both characters for just a minute before we talk about prayer. And ask this question, though, how are we like them? And really, we need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, how are we like the judge? I don't really like looking at characters like him and finding any way that I identify with that person. But I find the more I'm introspective, the more God just reveals things in my life. He teaches me things that maybe I didn't want to see before. Here's a question to ask yourself. Do you truly fear God? Fear being, do you respect God? Do you revere God? Do you honor him? Do you obey him? Do you submit to him? Do you follow him? In an independent culture such as that we live, the idea of submitting before God, it's just become so culturally irrelevant to us. But do we really trust God, submit to him, follow him? Or like the judge, do we just simply say sometimes, I'm in church a lot, but God really doesn't weigh heavily in my life. Or I have some really neat t-shirts, and, and uh, sometimes I listen to Caleb and things like that. But really, when it comes down to making decisions, I don't spend a lot of time considering what God's Word might be sharing with me or speaking to me about. I kind of just go at it on my own, and I think, you know, well, is this good for me? Is this work for me? Is this good for my family? And I jump into it. Or maybe you're like saying, look, I know God's Word. I've read it. I understand it. I just don't really like it. <laughs> So I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to continue on. But I really love the relationships at the church, and I like the music. And every once in a while, that pastor even speaks up front, and it says something I like. So I kind of stay plugged in and hooked in this morning. Do we truly fear God, respect him, revere him, honor him, obey him, submit to him? One of our key components, our key words, is that we would honor God in our life. Honor God in what we do, not simply what we believe. Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, and I think this, is a, this could be a dagger one for us to really think about, is do we truly care for people? I've been amazed mostly at my study in these parables that the thing that keeps coming back is Jesus teaching his disciples to serve and care for other people. Do you truly care for other people? I'm talking about like in theory... Not just in theory, but like really in practice. Like he sees this woman in need, right? She's suffering some type of injustice. She didn't just come to him and say, you know, I really would want something. She's saying, I have an adversary. I'm facing injustice. And this judge could have done something about it right away. He could have just kind of waved his hand and removed the situation from her. He He chooses not to do it. 
He's in a position he can serve her and help her and bring her justice, and he chooses to ignore the power of that position to be able to serve and help her here. And so we call this the sin of omission. He just chooses not to act. You see, if you sin, you actually do something bad to somebody and you know you did something bad, right? That's like the sin of commission. You did it. You committed that act. But there's equally the sin of omission where we see where we should be serving and helping and blessing people's lives. We see injustices that we could fit into and that we could alleviate and we choose not to do anything about it. The sin of omission. You see, sometimes I think that we get so wrapped up that we are somebody that we have the value of compassion, empathy, love, mercy, respect, and generosity, but we don't actually have the lifestyle that embodies this. And I think that's one of the things Jesus is teaching here when we think about and ask this question, do we truly love other people? Here's another set of questions for the widow. How we like her. What good thing do you need to be striving for or to keep striving for? I wonder in your life if if you're somebody that strives for justice. If you're somebody that looks at situations and says, you know, it just, it can't continue this way. We need to find justice. I think there's things in our life that are worth striving for and committing to and have incredible amount of effort to. And it doesn't involve, really, any video games. (laughs) I'm talking about real-life, serious things that make an impact in people's lives and our lives. Do we strive for those things? Here's a second question, how we're like the widow. She teaches us this. What is worth fighting for in our life? What is it in your life that you would say, this is worth fighting for? Now, some of you, um, you're like crusaders, you're warriors, and you'll fight over everything and anything. Feel free not to, okay? <laughs> you're driving us crazy. So, and some of you are like you're on the other spectrum of things where you won't fight for anyone, for anything. And I want to say this morning, feel free to pick something up and to fight for it this morning. This lady teaches us, I mean, she is fighting for justice. So we prayerfully, we consider each other, we consider what God could use us for, and then we look at what in our life is worth fighting for. I believe Jesus is worth fighting for. And I believe that the church is worth fighting for. I think your family is worth fighting for. Justice is worth fighting for. The oppressed, single moms, kids, victims, I think they're worth fighting for. And I think far too often the church has become kind of the the quiet commodity in this fight. And when it comes to injustice, this lady is teaching us, stand up and fight. Stand up and be a part of that cause. In fact, in the last year, I've been so proud of this church and what you've done. Did you know last year you took three trips and spent about $2,100 on a, on a facility that's going to house women who have been uh, trafficked? You did that. You were part of that. This school right here, you were part of helping uh, about a year and a half ago fill backpacks of food and all that kind of stuff for that program. And really, a program that they were near the edge of closing their doors, actually, that program. And they had so much support from churches, ours being one of them, that they decided to keep the door open. And since then, the Lord has really blessed what they've been doing and been growing that ministry. I've been proud of you and our fight in that area. And there's even more, I think, we can do that stays in front of us. And so this lady teaches us this. Now, in saying all this, Jesus is clearly telling us to be persistent in something. 
He says it at the very beginning of the passage. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So ultimately, Jesus is telling them to pray, to be persistent in their prayers. And so when I read this story and I look at this story, it's not that we read this story and say, God is like this judge, this crooked, mean, unkind, terrible judge here. It's not what the story is getting at. The story is saying, look, this judge who is really the embodiment of kind of evil and doing nothing for justice in this lady's life, that if this lady would be so persistent to go to this kind of lowercase j, judge, unkind, mean, hates people, doesn't fear God, and that he eventually would give to her. How much more the good judge, the capital J judge, the kind judge, the loving God, the compassionate judge, the judge who cares about justice, how much more will he give to us if we would go and we would plead before him? In fact, I think the little sneakingly hidden message in here is that why do we always seem to go to the lowercase j judge and plead and plead and plead when the uppercase j judge, God himself, is available to us to come to. And so that's really the point of the story. He says, come and pray. Be persistent to me. I am a good judge. I am nothing like you culturally know of that judge in that time. I'm a good judge. And so come, plead with me. Be persistent before me. So why don't we do that more? I want to share in the last couple minutes why I think, and, and, and I also want to kind of give you a little freedom in your prayer time this morning. First of all, I think that for us, why we don't go to God is we simply don't think prayer works. I mean, let's be honest for a second. You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to stand up, raise your hand, or anything like that. But just be honest in your head before God. We often just don't think that prayer works. We've prayed a few times before, maybe many, many, many times. But when we look at the, the ledger of what we think God said, it just didn't seem to come out and to work in our favor. Or we've had that person who was ill, and we prayed vigilantly for that person for that three or four days or however long, and, you know, they still passed away. And so we've said, you know, prayer doesn't work. Or maybe we just pray in general every day, Lord, protect my day, watch over my family, watch my kids, and yet every once in a while something still happens to us. Some bad thing still occurs, so prayer doesn't work. We've led ourselves into thinking that, that prayer just doesn't work. But can I tell you, from biblical perspective, prayer works. But let me tell you how it works. That God, who is a parent, functions like a parent. You see, sometimes God says, yes, I'll provide for you. I'm right on it. Here it goes. Sometimes he says, no, I'm not going to do that. No. Other times he says, you know, I want to do that for you, but this isn't the right time. Later. Just hang on and wait. I mean, think of God like a parent. Um, you have kids. I've got kids. I mean, think about um, if my kids came to me and just said, hey, uh, Mountain Dew, ice cream, like to stay out to 2 a.m., and that's what they ask for all the time. As a parent, probably I'm not just going to say, yes, 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 no problem. You know, Mountain Dew, ice cream, uh, bottle rockets, let's go. You know, let's have a good, real good time. It's probably not going to happen. As a parent, I would understand when to say no and when to say yes in situations. And that's what God does as a parent. 
Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says, just hang on. You see, I think we forget sometimes that prayer is not simply designed so that we can move the hand of God. Prayer is also designed so that God can mold and shape our heart. Why do we pray for our enemies? So that our enemies would suddenly turn and become our friends? It doesn't necessarily say that in Scripture. But it certainly does something to my heart to mold and shape it when I pray for my adversary, when I pray for somebody who might be persecuting me. It changes my heart when I stop and I go before God on that. And that's what he wants to do with us. Did you know that when Jesus taught about prayer, that he taught that you went to God as if you would just go to your dad, to your father, now, I recognize that for some of you, you would say, look, I, don't have, I didn't have a father. Look, God will be father to the fatherless. That's what his word says. And some of you say, well, yeah, that's great, but I had a terrible dad. Well, look, don't project your dad onto God. Use God to judge your dad. That's what the scripture would say to us, that he is the just and right father. And so when Jesus teaches us this, he actually uses the word Abba, Father. And this word Abba, it's this intimate word to say like Daddy. Like we would say. In fact, every once in a while, I even catch my 14-year-old son. Oh, he's sitting here. <laughs> All right. Well, too late. I'm, I'm, I'm already launched into it. Um, every once in a while, I'll catch him say, Daddy, still. Oh, and usually when it's just him and I. So, is that okay? You going to be okay with this? Okay, good. <laughs> and it's this intimate form of saying, Father. This intimate form. That's the word Jesus uses to say, that's how we go to God. So when we go to God, what do we simply do? We just go and say, hey, Dad, and we talk to him like that. In fact, let me tell you, let me just release you from a couple things that you might be nervous about. Uh, Number one, when you pray, you don't have to pray eloquently. Okay, can I just release you from that? You don't have to pray eloquently. You don't have to put together beautiful, flowing, well-versed, you know, with the, I don't know, what is all the poetic stuff that is, but you don't have to do that. It's, it's okay just to go to, to God and just pray. Now, let's think about it this way. Close your eyes for a second. Let's, 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 let's simulate a prayer for a second, would you? Close your eyes. Just go with me, all right? So close your eyes. We're praying, right? And, uh, we're going to do this like it's my kids coming to me after dinner. My kids come up to me for dessert, and this is what they say. Dearest Father, we would first like to thank you for your kind provision in our former days. Furthermore, we know that you have the ability to grant requests, and we acknowledge that very gladly. Furthermore, in addition, our subpoint is this, that we would beseech you, though undeserving as we are, Father, that perhaps in your great mercies, we could have ice cream for dessert. Amen. Amen. Now, I'd be, I'd be there thinking, wow, who are you? Um, but no, that doesn't happen, right? The kids come up, hey, can we have ice cream for, for dessert? Can we go get ice cream? That's about as quick as it is, right? That's about as simple and eloquent as it is to often I say, yes, let's get in the car and go. That's how it works. You see, you don't have to pray eloquently. In fact, do you think God in heaven is ever manipulated by our eloquent words? Not a chance. And so we just go to God and we talk. Just talk the same as you would talk to a friend. You just talk. It's that simple. Secondly, your prayers don't have to be lengthy, okay? 
They don't have to be lengthy. I mean, we all know that person, that guy, right? He'd come over to our house, and they say, like, okay, uh, let's pray. And you're like, oh, man, anybody but him. You know, my food's going to get cold. I'm going to miss my birthday. This guy prays forever. And I know, sometimes you're thinking, that's Tom, I have too. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking when you come over. Watch it, watch it. It's like sometimes we think, you know, that we're in this thumb-wrestling match with God and that we just have to battle him all night long. And the longer we would pray, that eventually we would get God to submit. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. The length is not necessarily the significance. The persistence of our heart in saying, I want to come before God. God, capital J judge, is who I want to come before. The good judge, the kind judge, the compassionate, the one who loves me, the one who created me, that's the one I want to go before, and I'm going to persistently go to that judge instead of these little J judges that I always seem to end up at their doorstep. And so we keep coming, and we keep coming to God, but we don't have to come with long, long, drawn-out prayers. When we pray in public, It's not the one who's longest wins. Just pray and share your heart. You know, I have a friend who's a church planner, and he prays this prayer a lot. This is, actually, he told me, this is the prayer he prays the most. He said, Lord, help. Amen. That's it. That's about it. There's sometimes when I'm here at about 8 o'clock and I start to move some chairs around myself and, and I, bring out, I bring some music early on so that I can just, just have that 30 minutes of kind of quiet alone time and that seems to be the quick words that are coming to my head. I can resonate with him. It's a quick, short prayer. Nothing wrong with that. The Lord hears that and receives that. And so Jesus is saying, when you pray, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to pray these long, drawn-out Just persistently come before me. Persistently come to me and to pray and to plead with me and to share with me. And sometimes I'll be able to say yes to you. And sometimes I have to tell you no because it's not good for you. And sometimes I'll say, just hang in there. We're going to get to it. But I love you enough, just keep coming to me with your prayers. And I'll receive them and I'll hear them. And in the process, you may move my hand, but I can guarantee you I'm going to help mold and develop who you are in that relationship. Finally, I want you to remember that like any relationship, it's a two-way street, right? There's communication has to go back and forth. And God has communicated to us through his word. He speaks to us that way. We open up his word, his Bible, and we read it much like we're doing this morning and he is communicating something to us. But there has to be communication the other way as well. And God has designed this, this great thing called prayer where we can go and we can communicate back to God. Have you ever sent out a few emails, Facebook messages, phone calls, and you never heard back from the other side? How does it feel to be in a one-way relationship? That's what God often, if he has a physical head, I don't know, it may be shaking it, saying, could, could we please get some communication back? So this morning, this week, I just want to encourage you to spend some of that time getting back with God in prayer, to looking him as just his daddy, to praying with him the way that you would speak to anyone else, and to persistently go to him and plead if you need. Praise if, if he's done something great, but communicate with him throughout the week. Because what we find in this simple, simple story is that if an 
a widow, worthless in their culture and the society of the day, can really move the hand of a judge who is significantly powerful. How much more does a good God want to hear from us and work in our life? Let me pray for you. Father, I believe that this morning in a group this size, there's probably plenty of, of those, even that, that would say they're believers, who have, who have not come before you in serious prayer in a long time if it's not just praying over the, the evening meal. And so, Lord, this week, maybe the, maybe the only thing that we need to be pushed this week is to stop and find those moments where we're going to pray to you. And we're going to say, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Lord, please work in this area of my life. Lord, if it's your will, will you provide here? And we would just find a way to begin even the, what the word persistency means. Just starting and letting it flow from there. Lord, I think there's many in this room right here that could benefit from that small challenge this week. So could they take it and own it and start to go before you? And Lord, I, as much as anyone, would love an immediate verbal response from you. And I understand you don't always work that way. And so, Lord, will we stay patient and persistent as the story teaches us this morning? But Lord, the, the worst thing this morning, Lord, is that if we were to all go away and spend no time communicating back to you. And so, Lord, we, we would just ask you to keep your challenge in front of us, that none of us would be that that non-communicator, none of us this week. And then, Lord, I just want to pray, Father, could I, that you would answer in ways where there would be some miraculous testimonies right here in this room. That some people would come and say, I started persistently praying in this area. Let me tell you what God did. He provided, or he didn't provide, but boy, did he change my heart. Or I so clearly heard God say, just hang in there, hang in there, my blessing's coming. That there would be testimony that would be shared right here in this group. As immediate as next week, Lord, if you want to work that way. And that we would claim you in every single one. No lowercase j judge, but only our uppercase j. The good judge, the kind, the compassionate, the one who loves us and created us. We pray that in your son's name. Amen. Well, I appreciate you letting me walk through that one. Uh, this week, that was... Uh,